0: Welcome to the Courtside Hoops podcast with Reg and Buckets. I'm Reg and I'm joined by Buckets on this Friday night. Buckets, how are you, mate?
1: I'm very well, mate. Very well. It's been a big week in the conference finals, game after game every day, which is always the best time of year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's
0: dive right into it um, and probably start with the West now, considering it's over. Um, How did you see, I guess, I think last time we spoke, it might have been after game four? Possibly. Yes. Um, so we've had obviously two games, well, Game Five and Game Six. Uh, after that, how did you see Game Five first, uh, and then Game Six
1: secondly? Yeah. So Game Five was was a classic, wasn't it? Um, in in terms of um, the Clippers, they did exactly what what you have to do. So obviously, without Kawhi, they're the underdogs, um, and you're three one down, going away to Phoenix. You have to come out and, and throw basically a haymaker in that first quarter uh, to give yourselves a chance to, to win that game, especially when you're away from home without your best player. And that's exactly what they did. They were able to get away to a hot start. I think it was 15-2 at one stage um, and were able to hold a double-digit lead for a majority of that first quarter and the first half, which really set them up um, to be able to win, win that game. Paul George, I thought, was enormous in that game, Um, obviously the pressure's been on him throughout the playoffs um, this year and obviously throughout the season because of what happened in the bubble last year. That's the best game I've seen him play uh, given the the magnitude of the game and the pressure that was on him. And there was a moment during that game where I thought it was all going to change. He was playing so well, but they're up seven and he had the ball and turned the ball. We tried to drill behind his back and turn the ball over. Phoenix stole the ball, went up and got a three-point play, which cut it to four. Um, and it was 98-94. And then Paul George gives away a foul on the free throw which gave them another another free throw to cut the game to three. And I thought, oh, this is this is a big momentum shift here. You've been playing so well. Now you've just turned the ball over. They've got a three-point play. You've now given away a dumb foul on a free throw that could cut it to a one-digit ball game. Um, and to his credit, they were able to, from that moment on, never relinquish the lead and just pulled away. So... I have to give a lot of credit to Paul George for the way he was able to play in that Game Five, um, to be able to go into Phoenix and and get that win. That that's big time for a guy that's been under the pump. What was your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, completely agree. My, my notes here, I've literally just got Paul George Game Five written down. That's it. <laughs> like he was he was the difference. It was. I agree with you. Best game I've seen him play. Um, and I think that goes um, like he had some good games back with Indiana. Um, obviously when they were going up against the heat in, in the playoffs yeah. and things like that, but this was at a whole other level, particularly when you've got, particularly when I guess most people see you as the Robin, I guess, of that team, um, to, to Kawhi being the Batman and really since Kawhi went out, Paul George has really stepped up. Um, and for me, I think redeemed a lot of the, um, the issues that he had in last in the bubble, uh, last season. Um, and he was just brilliant from start to finish. Um, I do remember that passage of play you were talking about, and it was kind of like, oh, is this the turning point? You know, you know, um, what game was it when he missed the free throws late? Um, game two. Yeah, and they were like playoff P's back, and I thought, oh, please don't happen again for him. Like it'll just be, it'll just be really tough if you know they can't get this one. But massive, massive win. Um, I think Ty Liu's record in closeout games or um, elimination games is like. and or 13-2 and or something crazy like that. Um, So he's got, obviously, a good record there. Obviously, didn't get it done in game game six, which we'll touch on in a second. But uh, for me, it was the Paul George show. And I think Reggie Jackson's really impressed me as well, a guy who I didn't think was really that good. Um, He's been in Detroit, so it's sort of hard to judge someone. (laughs) When they've been in Detroit, it's a bit like judging someone on the Bulls. But anyway, um, he's... (laughs) He's really, really, really impressed me. And I think he's in for a big uh, big payday uh, this off-season. Um, and I didn't realize, but I sort of watched a few clips and him and Paul George apparently have played with each other at all levels throughout their life. Um, and so they were like, they're like really, really close. And they were just talking about how much it means to play with someone who, um, you know, you just love to play with. A bit like when I get to the opportunity to play with you buckets, which isn't as much yes. these days, but it's always more enjoyable when you've got your brother out there with you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, you can just put Paul George next to game five and, and move straight on to game six, um, which I guess game six for me, I was a little bit disappointed in the Clippers. I sort of uh, expected um, maybe a little bit more out of them, but on the flip side, Chris Paul, um, 31 points in the second half. You know, I think he said after the game when they were like, you know, what were you thinking? He's just like, don't lose, <laughs> don't lose, don't lose. You know, he, he knows what happens when you can get to a game seven. It's anything can happen. You don't want to even put yourself in that situation. Um, and he was big time. And I think he's, only, I think I read he's only the fourth player in NBA history to score more than 40 with zero turnovers in a conference finals game. Um, and the other three, Hakeem, Jordan and Shaq all went on to win the title that year. So he's got uh, some big shoes to fill now that they're into the, uh, into the NBA Finals. But I think it was just fantastic to see um, the, the performance that he put on was big time. And one of the best games of his career as well at, at age 35, or whatever he is. Um, what did you think about game six?
1: It's, it's funny, the stats that come out now, like the first guy or one of four guys just got over 40 no turnovers in a conference finals like the. oh there's the a for everything yeah there was another one i think coming out there was like guys that have scored over 35 points when they're over 35 years of age and it's something it was like him and jordan were the only ones like you can you make these these yeah. records with so many things these days um but, you know, Game 6, and as much as we talked about how good Paul George was in Game 5, they also got big contributions. DeMarcus Cousins had um, a big contribution. Um, Marcus Morris, I think, made his first seven shots and yep. um, in that first half. Obviously, Reggie Jackson played really well. So they got, as good as George was, they got contributions from those role players that you knew probably weren't going to be able to emulate that into game six. Um, so, and obviously Paul George was nowhere near um, as efficient as he was uh, in game five. So, you know, you couple that together, plus the fact that Phoenix, you know, there was pressure on them, you know, for Paul um, Chris Paul, given that they were 3-1 up lose game five in Phoenix. So this talk started to happen. You know, Chris Paul, he's he's had a history of blowing leads in playoff series. Is this going to be another one? He hadn't played well in the previous three games since coming back from COVID protocol. So there was, a, there was a sense of urgency from Phoenix as well to know, okay, let's, let's not muck around here. Yes, Game Seven's in our house, but we don't want to get to Game 7 after blowing two games and then the whole chat's like, is this another 3-1 um, deficit that's going to be lost? Um, first Game 7 for Phoenix in so many years, blah, blah, blah. So there was a real sense of urgency for them and they come out knowing, okay, we're going to finish this job now and the Clippers just couldn't hang with them. Um, They needed Paul George to be what he was in game five, and he wasn't, and they just weren't going to get that same level of production that they would have got out of those role players in game five. So, you know, and again, what Paul George was able to do after that, that sequence that we spoke about in game five, where they could have cut it to three. Paul, um, Chris Paul never let the runs of the Clippers get them close enough to ever be a real threat. Every time it looked like the Clippers were going um, to put a, put a run on and get close, he would then make another big shot or make another play to continue to keep that buffer. And then as they got into that fourth quarter, he just took the whole game over and, and blew the whole game apart. Um, one incident from that late in that fourth quarter was Patrick Beverley shoving Chris Paul in the back during the timeout. What'd you make of that?
0: It's just, uh, it's starting to become too frequent um, for me with Pat Bev. Um, I know he apparently came in on Twitter after Twitter afterwards and apologized and said it was the heat of the moment and blah, blah. But I think there's too many of these sort of stains for me on his resume now that I'm sort of getting sick of it. Like I think enough's enough. He was, I get that he like he mimics people, he carries on a bit. I know that that's his job. I guess like that's that's what makes Pat Bev Pat Bev. But I wouldn't be going out of my way to um, to like want him on my team or anything like that. Put it that way, um, I don't think he necessarily is a plus in today's NBA. Um, and I've always thought he's slightly overrated as a defender although I think he's made a few all defensive teams. Um, I could be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure he's made a few. Um, I, yeah, I just thought it was not called for dirty CP three doesn't mind a bit of acting, but look, by any means necessary, sometimes <laughs> that's what has to, has to happen. Um, so yeah, I, it's just, if, if something had have come of it, like as in an injury, or it just would have been horrible. So why put yourself in that situation? Um, and I, would be surprised if you disagree with me there, knowing how, how you feel about Pat Bev. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, look, it, it's one of those things. And I remember talking about it um, from the first round series with LeBron and Jay Crowder. Because there was that, obviously, everyone saw the clip of LeBron and the Lakers clowning Jay Crowder in game three when he was in the post. And then from what happened from that, obviously Phoenix go on to win that series and you've got Jay Crowder dancing at the end of that game knowing that they're going to move on and they've just knocked LeBron out. And I was happy with that. And I I said on the pod that Jay Crowder is very much within his rights to be doing that. LeBron was doing what he was doing and now you've ended up losing the series. You have to take your medicine. This is Pat Bev giving it out, but they're not willing to take it because him and Chris Paul have been going at it all series and they both trash-talking each other, both very much play on that that line of, you know, basketball play, non-basketball play, you know, good trash talk, over-the-line trash talk. So you can't be doing all that and, 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 and he had that incident um, in game five where he undercut him on the screen and then was saying he was flopping and blah, blah, blah. Now that you're getting blown out in the fourth quarter and the, the game is done and your season's done and the series is done, to then just go and shove someone in the back when they're walking back from a timeout when they can't see you, that's, that's basically like a child having a tantrum. Like you've got to take your medicine. If you're going to go out there and do it, you then, when it's when the shoe's on the other footers, as they like to say, it ain't no fun when the rabbit's got the gun, you, you've got to just take it. That's part of the game. You're not always going to be first. You're not always going to be last. So to me, it just made him look like a fool. And if I was his teammate, I'd be so pissed with him Mm. because the game is done, but you're part of it. You've been playing this whole game. You're part of us losing this game. You've got to... You can't just crack it and get yourself ejected and leave the rest of us out here to finish the last six minutes. We started this thing together. We're going to finish it together just because we're going to lose... You don't just throw the toys out of the cot and think, I'm out, you guys finish it without me. That's some of the most selfish things that you can do as a teammate. I remember having a teammate in a final playing footy that we were losing the game and we shouldn't have been losing the game. We were a much better team, but we were having a poor day and getting beaten. And in the third quarter, one of my teammates just went and punched his opponent in the face, which got him sent off the ground. And you just like yeah, we're probably going to lose that game regardless. But now you've just left the 17 other guys out there that are supposed to be your teammates to go and finish this game without you because you can't hack what's yeah. happening out there. It's just such a selfish thing to do. So if I was in that locker room, I'd be very pissed with what he did because that's just that's just being a sore loser and being a front runner.
0: Yeah, and I think he... Like, I'm, I'm all for competing at the highest level. Like, compete as hard as you can walk that line walk that line but he seems to cross it way too often for to my life yes um and it, you're right that the kid throwing a tantrum is a really good example because there's a pattern then of after it happens him coming out and apologizing and yes. it's like it's just it, it sort of doesn't feel as genuine because the same thing over and over again um yeah. and I, i've always i've never liked people who are like if you can't beat them hurt them yeah um and i I think there was a little bit of that in he, he was so frustrated and like, you know, if I can, if I can take CP three out, you know, maybe we can get back into this game and it's like compete at the highest level, um, you know, work as hard as you can. There's little, little tricks and stuff you can do that you can get away with, but let's not go out there and try to, you know, do something as, as blatantly obvious as that that could hurt somebody because that's not the right way to go about it. And, and for me, it's too repetitive for him now. Um, and I must admit, he's, he's had a massive drop off in his career that, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he's not even in the league in a couple of years' time. You know, he's really getting this sort of reputation now that um, he's no longer a starter. He comes off the bench, doesn't really give you much in terms of offensive production, um, gets himself ejected on the defensive end by doing dumb things. It's like no one's going to want you if you're going to keep that up, you know, so no, you're going to get and, sorted.
1: And the apology means nothing. You know, to come in and apologize after the fact means nothing. there's a there's a respect in sport that it, it's the worst feeling in the world where you're competing and you're losing and you have to you have to Finish take it off. that and <laughs> and there's no, and there's nothing worse than at the end of the game you have to go up and shake that that per that player's hand or or that other team's hand, knowing that they beat you because the competitor in you is just so frustrated in, in that moment. But that's the respect you have to give because when the shoe's on the other foot and you're competing and you're on the the winning side of it, you expect that level of respect back. So, you know, that that feeling... Shout out
0: Isaiah and the Detroit Pistons. Anyway, keep going. Yes.
1: So, yeah, that when you're competing and that feeling of of getting over the top and, and beating someone or beating a team and when at the end of the game you go and shake their hands and you have that feeling of accomplishment of beating them, You have to give that feeling back when you're on the you're on the other side of it you can't just crack it and say no i'm out and just leave because that's not the respect that you're supposed to do as a competitor so for me if i'm chris paul that apology means nothing to me it's just like yeah whatever you we 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 got you we we beat you soundly and you couldn't take it so you you went and did that so your apology means nothing whereas at the end of the game if you come up and shake my head no matter what we did competing during the series you have that respect for them. You just have no respect for players that aren't able to finish something out if they're on the losing side of it.
0: Yeah, completely agree. And it's, it's an apology on Twitter. Like, come on. You don't have to put everything on social media well, to make yes. it public. Like, give them a call or, you know, <laughs> I don't know, do something. But anyway, it's it's Pat Bev, so it's it's like it's not a surprise, which is yes. the bad part of it. Like, it's becoming too consistent. Um. Before we move on over the other side of the playoffs, um, there's been a lot of clips around on social media, always hard to get context when you only see bits and pieces, but of Phoenix celebrating uh, as if they've already won the championship. Where do you sit in terms of celebrating for them at this point in time?
1: It's it's obviously a big moment. you know, First time since 93 when Charles Barkley took them to the NBA finals. Um, and if they weren't dumb enough to give up a four-point lead with... I think it was 46 seconds to go in that game six. They probably yeah, they go to a game seven and who knows, they might be sitting there champions. I I still can't believe the last minute of that game. It's just the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever seen. But yeah, so it's obviously been a long time for Phoenix. Small market, um, great for someone like Chris Paul. It's, it's always great when you see someone that works so hard for so long that this is year 16 for him and had so many playoff failures to finally get over that hump and reach an NBA finals so I can understand the emotion from it. You know, you've got a team that certainly wasn't expected to be competing for an NBA title at the start of the year. Yeah. I think most of them thought that would be good, but this has certainly exceeded their expectations. So there would be that outpouring of emotion. So I can understand why they've you know had that parade and things like that. But it's certainly when I saw it, I thought, you know, they might be getting a bit ahead of themselves But in saying that, you're probably going to see the same thing in Atlanta or Milwaukee, depending on who wins that series, because these teams aren't used to being in that position. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the mindset of those players are, given that they're being celebrated the way they are by just making the finals, how that translates going into the actual final series. What were your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, look, I, I thought it's like when coaches often say after a game, we're going to enjoy this tonight and tomorrow we'll get back to work. Like, I have no issue with celebrating little things as long as it gets to a point where it's like, okay, so flick the switch now, you know, turn the page, we're on to the next day. Um, aside from Chris Paul, they're obviously a very young team, um, so they're obviously going to be excited and, and that going obviously to the NBA Finals is, is pretty massive. Um so And then, as I said, it's, it's always hard to know what level of the clips that, you, that surface, how far did they go, you know, things like – because you only see little bits and pieces. It's like they were out all night getting smashed. Like, we, there's, that's, we, have, we, don't, we don't know that that occurred or not. Um, so, for me, it's fine because it's like, yep, celebrate, but then there's a, there's a time and place to, um, to flip the switch. And I guess they've got the, the added benefit of being there now whilst the other side um, keeps going. Um, in terms of the Eastern Conference, that they're just sitting there waiting now to see who who they'll be um, who they'll be facing. One last point before we swap is, I think the thing that makes me so happy that Phoenix won is that Skip Paley so wanted the Clippers to win. He <laughs> so wanted them to win. He's now he's now all over Twitter going, "Well, they didn't have Kawhi, you know." It's and it's just like, "Oh man, yeah. come on, come on!" So, whenever he loses, the, the world wins. <laughs>
1: They certainly do. Both LA teams are now gone. So it yep. uh, does, not, does not matter now. LA is, uh, the Lakers are still king.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> over to the east side, we've got, we had a weird game today, um, obviously because Giannis and Trey, the two main events, were yes. not playing. Um, I think last time we spoke was probably at the end of game two or three. Can't quite remember. Three. Three. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, now we've obviously got, after today's result, we've got Milwaukee one win away um, from going to the finals and Atlanta sort of, from my perspective on life support, <laughs> trying, to, trying to hang in there and hopefully be able to get Trey back and, and see if they can push it. Um, where do you see that series at and can you see Atlanta getting back into it?
1: Yeah, so without Trey, um, Atlanta just aren't that good. Um, and it, it's been an amazing run, even for them to be at this point, even with Trey Young on that team. Again, no one expected them to be in the position they are. And if they were able to get through this series and make the final, you're probably going to see similar scenes where there's a parade in in Atlanta <laughs> when they're coming back, just because it's so unexpected. It's it's hard for someone like Trey Young to be out with a bone bruise by standing on a referee. Yeah, that's – and I know obviously the ref wasn't intending to do it and it's just one of those unlucky plays. But you see that and it's like, damn, like even with like the the Giannis one, it's like, okay, well, they're playing basketball. You know, his, his leg gets caught under him. You, you sort of live with that as part of the game. But to stand on a ref and get a bone bruise that keeps you out of two games, it's like, man, that must be so frustrating for Atlanta fans. Look, what happened in game four um, – was basically Milwaukee thinking we're just going to come in here and just walk over them and get, get the win. It was and the classic was like,
0: example of that, wasn't it? You see yeah. it at every level of competition. When, when there's one team so heavily favoured, it's amazing how yeah. often they lose. <laughs>
1: yeah. It is. It's like, okay, they don't have their best player. We're a better team even with their best player. This is going to be a cakewalk. And Atlanta come out with nothing to lose and played that way, shot the lights out, just had one of those games where everything went right for them. Guys that hadn't been shooting well started to shoot well. Guys that don't normally get minutes were getting minutes and making the most of them. You know, They have that unpredictability because you don't have a guy that normally is running most of the sets and Milwaukee just couldn't recover from that. And then obviously Giannis gets hurt in the third quarter. And that's the frustrating thing is, you know, they talked about it in the first round, like don't play with your food in them in them closing out that first round series. Well, that's exactly what they did here. They needed to have that mindset of, yeah, they don't have Trey Young, but we're not mucking around here. Let's go in, let's beat them by 50 if we have to, to make sure we get this win. And then you know, who knows, they might not have had it where Giannis gets hurt and the momentum shifts. And that's what they did in game five today is they said, okay, we're going to come out with an urgency and a mindset to dominate this game. And that's exactly what they did. And they blew them out from start to finish. The game was never in doubt the entire time, even without their best player, Giannis, which is what they should have done in game four, which they didn't. So now they've got to go do a game six. I suspect if they come out with the same mindset then they'll blow them out again because they're just a better team and I don't think Trey's going to come back. Um, Brook Lopez was was huge today. He, he got back to being Brook Lopez before he came to Milwaukee, which obviously you can't now when you've got a guy like Giannis. He has to play a completely different role. But him being that focal point inside, he just feeded all game long and was just basically there was no answer for him inside.
0: Yep. And get it get around ex-bull Bobby Portis. He had a big game today. i BP. Did he played for the crazy
1: eyes played with the Bulls.
0: He did. He was drafted by the Bulls. Uh, then he punched Nikola Miritich back in the training that day. And we had to get rid of one of them. And we oh, kept no. we kept Miritich and traded Bobby Portis.
1: So no, another mistake.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, cra- crazy eyed Portis. He, he was a fan favorite in Chicago too. That guy just he just plays with so much energy and passion you <laughs> just if you he's in your team, you can't help but love him. Uh, Absolutely. He had a big, big game. Uh, in He's had actually a pretty good series um, since he's come back from injury. He's been pretty handy for them and obviously had a big game today. But you're right, Brooke Lopez was just crazy today. Um, and then you had obviously Middleton and, and Drew do their thing. It was just like, you could take your pick. You know, four guys over 20 points, um, all um, all playing uh, at a high level um, against a team that they're already better than on paper and on the court. There, there wasn't much hope for Atlanta today and, and I'm, I'm terrible with predictions, but I'm worried that there's not much hope for Atlanta in game six either. I really think it's it's time for the Bucs to close this off and get to where um, they have been unable to go the last couple of years when you know, they've been sort of favoured to get there. Um, this is their moment now to to get to the finals. And I think I put in the, uh, the Hoops Talk group that we have today that I think I want. Bucks and and Phoenix. I don't want Atlanta and Phoenix in the final.
1: <laughs> no, no, I think certainly the Bucks um, Phoenix series would be a much more um, exciting series just to have that start there because there's a good sign. Giannis was on the bench today, um, so I think you know if it was a really severe and, and not say it's not a severe injury, but. You'd think there's hope there that he will be able to get back, especially if they're able to advance, yeah. given that he was on the bench and sort of moving around and, and things like that. Um, ideally, I think for Milwaukee, He'll, he'll miss game six, I would say. If I was coaching, I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but if I was coaching, you'd probably sit him game six unless he is 100% to see if they're able to to advance, which then gives him more time to be ready for game one of the finals. Um, and if they lose game six, bring him back for game seven, if it's if it's that sort of touch and go. Um, but you just want him. It would be disappointing that if Milwaukee got through and Giannis isn't able to play and they have to play that final series without their best player. So what have you made of um, Chris Middleton's playoff series?
0: I love Chris Middleton. Um, I think, and surprisingly enough, we're going to talk about this, this fellow uh, shortly, but he reminds me of Pippen. Um, yeah, he's, yep. he's got that all-around game where he's not necessarily great at any one thing, um, but he can do everything to a pretty high level. Um, and he's the closer for them. Like, if you forget about the whole uh, Perkins calling him the Batman and blah, blah, blah. But he, he, those two guys between him and Giannis, they know when to, when it's their turn, you know. And, and they've, I think they've worked, they've played together for so long that they've worked out when we need a, you know, a shot later, a bucket late, um, in, in a close game, we're going to, we're going to Chris Middleton. Um, and he's taken and made, um, tough, big shots um, in this series uh, pretty, much, pretty much throughout. And he doesn't always have the best shooting nights, uh, but what I love about him is he always brings it. He always brings the, the effort on both ends of the court, um, often guards the other team's best player or you know, rotates with Giannis uh, in doing so. Um, I just like him. I just think he's, he's an all round player that I think would help every single team in the league. And there's not too many guys who you could say, put this guy on any team in the league and he makes them so much better. Um, reminds me a little bit, even of almost like a, um, uh, obviously not style wise, but just importance to a team wise reminds me a bit of a Shane Battier or that sort of player that just plugs the gaps, does a little bit of everything is a glue guy is someone that every team wants. Um, and is it possible that he's still even a little bit underrated? Um, you know, because he everyone talks about Giannis and Giannis, 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 and that's that's the world we live in. You always talk about the main guy. Um, but as a as a number two, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> you don't you don't buy into him being Batman no. and Giannis being Robin?
0: No, because I don't I don't think that Batman comes down to who takes the last shot. Um if that's the way it comes down to, there's a lot of guys who should not be Batmans who are considered Batmans. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's more that they've just figured out this is what we got to do to win. And um, to me, that's yeah, that's it, once you figure that out, the rest, who cares about who's Robin, who's Batman? Those those two guys want to win. Um, and I mean, we got to see Chris Middleton play against Australia um, for Team USA when they came out. And he doesn't have that international presence of a superstar or anything like that, but he's just solid. You know, he's
1: just
0: yeah. – I think that's the difference between him and Giannis. Giannis is like, wow, this guy, if he could just improve his jump shot a little bit more, is like, pff, good luck to the world. He did, had that – I don't know if this is that image getting around of him doing the dunk, but it was like the Jordan dunk from Space Jam where his arms stretched oh. out so much. <laughs> looks like his arms are about three meters long and he's just dropping a, <laughs> dropping a dunk in from game three or whatever it was. Um, but no, I don't, I don't buy into that. He's, he's um, That Middleton's the, the Batman. Um, what, what is your view on Middleton and, and I guess that debate?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think anyone that knows basketball would argue that Giannis is the best player on that team. Um, probably what I will say about Chris Middleton in this playoffs run is he's been very timely with his games. So he's been solid throughout in terms of consistent, but his best games have always come at very critical moments. And I think that's where this, you know, Chris Middleton's the Batman um, argument has flowed from, you know, because you look in that second round series against Brooklyn, they're down 0-2 going into game three and he has 35 and 15. So that was probably their most important game to that point, given that they swept the first round series. So they're down 0-2 and he gives you 35 and 15. Okay, then obviously um, they win game four. Um, game five happens with KD. We know it happens then. So then you're facing elimination. In game six, he goes for 38, 10, and five. So another huge game when they need it most. then they win game seven. He only had 23 in game seven. But... You know, obviously, had that game six. And then in this series, game three, okay, they've got to get that get that win to give themselves control, go up 2 1. He has 38, 11, and seven. And then today, game five, series tied 2 2. He goes 26, 13, and eight. So his biggest gains in this run have been when the pressure's been highest and when. Milwaukee need to win the most, which is what's fueling this argument that you know, he's the best player in this team, which he's not, but he's been very timely with when he's playing his best basketball, which is, I think, what's going to allow them to make the finals, which in previous playoff runs, they haven't been because they haven't had that guy that's been able to, as you say, close games, which he's able to do now because we know Giannis has his shortcomings. And it's it's similar to, you know, the reason Shaquille O'Neal was so successful. He wasn't closing out those fourth quarters. He was dominant the same way Giannis is dominant and will give you 30 and 10 every single night walking out of bed, but he needs that person when the game slows down that last five minutes they can play perimeter basketball and hit those shots to close games like D-Wade and Kobe used to do for him. That's what Chris Middleton's now doing to allow Giannis and Milwaukee to take that next step.
0: And I think he's a, that's that's a great point about the timely shots. And I think he's what you would consider a tough shot maker because he doesn't always take easy shots. <laughs> he takes a lot of step back, hand in your face shots. Um, but you're right, when when they need to go in, they go in. You know, yes. um, even when he's not having you know, the greatest of, of shooting nights. Um, and I think it's been a big year for him because I know that some of the criticism in, in previous years has been that, you know, Giannis needs more help. Um, you know, and he's been there all along. So now he's like, well, I'm here. Let's, you know, let's do this. Um, probably in the prime of his career, uh, pretty good for a second round pick um, to, be, to be doing this on, on this level. Uh, but as I said, he, he, you can put him on any team in the league and he makes him better. Like he just does so many bits and pieces. And the ability to take and make timely, tough shots is should not be overlooked or, or underestimated because there's not many guys who can do it, not at that level.
1: No, it must be it must be hard for you as a Bulls fan to see guys like Bobby Portis having you know big impact on the Milwaukee Bucks campaign, doing what he's doing over in Phoenix. You know these guys that have been on the Bulls roster in... Years gone by and now doing big things in deep playoff runs. It's
0: it is it's hard, but it's also like uh, Bobby Portis, I was a bit disappointed when we decided to keep Miritic uh, over him. Thought it was the wrong idea then. Still believe it's the wrong idea now. Miritic is back playing <laughs> in Barcelona or wherever he is. <laughs> Bobby Portis is in the conference finals, killing it. Um, campaign, I must admit, I just did not see this coming. Like that's that's a great story in itself of how he was able to um, go overseas and play for a bit, then come back into the G League and just work his way in. Monty Williams obviously gave him a shot, and now here he is—you know, killing it um, on the big stage. Uh, but it's, I think, been a Bulls fan over the last twenty years since number twenty-three, or just over twenty years until uh, since number twenty-three called it uh, called it quits. Uh, we're used to seeing guys go elsewhere and dominate. <laughs> uh, and to be honest, I think uh, going forward, I think Larry Markinen might be the next one that we let go and he gets himself into a good situation and takes off. Um, so as long as we can find somebody else who's going to take off in the Bulls' uniform, I'll be okay with it.
1: <laughs> the Bulls are just a development zone to get players into the league and then move them on and they can have uh, long, fruitful careers. They Staying are. on on the bulls side of the equation and we're going back to an ex-bull, but uh, probably the second most famous Chicago bull, Scotty Pippen has been in the news of late making some very, I would say controversial comments. Um, Some would agree, some would not. What's your take on what Scotty Pippen has been saying of of recent times?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's, out of the blue, to be honest, a lot of it. Um, there seems to be bitterness, which I think from Scotty's part is still linked to the last dance documentary, which we know he wasn't very uh, happy about. Um, he's publicly said that it was for Jordan to glorify himself and make himself look great, etc., etc. I didn't like the way he was portrayed. Um, didn't like the way they spoke about his contract and about the migraine game and him not going in when Kukoc hit the shot. Etc. Etc. He's also just got his new bourbon out um, or whiskey out called Digits, um, which has got his big fingers all over. That th- looks a bit creepy on the bottle. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if he's been having too much whiskey and it's affected his, his judgment a little bit. Um, and he's also apparently uh, got a book coming out, which I reckon is going to be very interesting because it's him in the book trying to um, give his side of events um, in the the latter years of of his Bulls tenure, including the last dance. Uh, And I reckon there might be a few bombs uh, as part of that as well. Um, The thing for me is when he talks about, say, um, Kukoach's last shot being um, a racial, racially motivated by Phil, um, that seems at the, at this point in time, that seems to be a lot of allegation without any substance. And the reason I say that is nobody else has come out in support. (laughs) Um, a lot of guys played for Phil over a lot of years and nobody has said, yes, that's true. Um, the second odd thing about it is, uh, he had Jordan on the team who is also a man of color and he wasn't given guy shots over Jordan. You know what I mean? And I know there's certain levels because, you know, you don't give a shot to Jordan. He'd probably done rip your head off or something. Who knows? (laughs) Like he he was always going to take that shot, but I just find it a little bit interesting that, you know, he's trying to throw a little bit of shade uh, at Phil um, all these years later out of the blue, as I said, without any sort of substance behind it. Now, something may come out, uh, but I have seen a few interviews with ex-Bulls players, B.J. Armstrong, Will Perdue, uh, Bill Winnington. Now, two of those are white. One of them is an African-American man in B.J. all have said, never witnessed anything that would make you think in any way, shape or form that uh, Phil was um, racist or whether that that was a racial move. Um, And the other side of the scale is that Phil had hit multiple... uh, Sorry, Phil. Tony had hit multiple shots for the Bulls in that season um, leading up to that point. He's the better shooter than Pippen. It just was the winning play, the right play to make. We talk about um, uh, Giannis and, and Chris Middleton. Giannis is happy to give that up for, for Chris when he knows that he's got a better chance of making it, you could argue the same thing at that point in time between um, Scotty and um, uh, Kukoach. So that's that element of it. Um, the element of him uh, sort of saying that him and Jordan weren't friends and et cetera, et cetera, um, compared, I think he was saying KD's not as good as LeBron, um, completely confused himself by saying LeBron led his, won a championship without any help and then got the year wrong and then replaced the year with another year that he didn't even win the championship. So he's a little bit confused. I think I'll old, old Scotty. Um, but I think I, I honestly think this stems down to two things from my perspective at the moment. It's disappointing, um, because obviously being a, a Bulls fan, Scotty's like right there. Um, I guess there's actually three things. The first thing is that Jordan doesn't win six championships without Scotty Pippen. That's a given. Um, no, no superstar, no star wins a championship without any help. That's a given. Um, Pippen, if Pippen weren't, wasn't there and, they, and Jordan had another all-star, may he, could he have won six? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But he's not winning without Scotty. And I, I think Scotty to this day, doesn't get enough credit in that sense. Um, and I think he's, he's getting frustrated by it. Um, secondly, the timing with his Bourbon coming out and his book is a little bit interesting that maybe he's trying to get his name out there and use it to, to boost sales. Um, it's a weird way to go about it if that's the case, but that's uh, always possible. Uh, and then thirdly, I still think it comes down to the last dance, and he wasn't happy with the way he was portrayed. Um, and so, I think that at the moment, a lot of people are saying Scotty Pippen is Scotty Trippin. Um, and <laughs> I, I quite like that. I sort of feel like I'm in I'm in the same boat there. But I'm I'm happy to be proven wrong if if people can provide some substance to the allegations, um, because at the moment that's it's an allegation with no weight behind it. Um, and Pippen is is. Yeah, getting pretty unhappy with Dan Patrick, with Stephen A. Smith, with all these guys who were who are sort of um, coming at him a little bit. Um, but I guess I'll always sort of slide to the side of Jordan in in those sorts of things. So um, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on what you think about Scotty's comments and and um, I guess just the, where have these come from? <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's right. So um, so, yeah, so for listeners at home that um, haven't seen it, so Scotty said on the Dan Patrick show that in 1994, when he refused to go back into the game during that Knicks series, when Tony Kukoc hits the shot to win the game, um, he said that Phil Jackson you was a racial move to not give him the last shot, which I don't believed to be the case, um, just from the outside looking in, um, as you say. And as Phil has said in, in the last dance, that Tony had hit shots like that before, proved to be the right play because he makes the shot. Um, but Scotty Pippen had also missed his previous two shots in that game. Um, so I think to say, to me, he's still upset about it and the fact that it gets brought up as um, a state on his career. So now he's just throwing things at the wall to see what sticks you know, oh, cause he, he didn't say that Phil was a racist. He just said it was a racial move. And then Dan Patrick sort of let him in saying, well, are you saying that Phil Jackson, a racist? And Scotty said, I'm happy with that. Like he didn't explicitly say that Phil Jackson is a racist. He just sort of just happy to go along with it. Knowing that yeah. it'd be a controversial um, topic. Um I think, did he say that he was the leader on the Bulls, not Jordan? Something along those sort of lines. I think, again, is just coming out to say something that's going to get a headline. Probably the thing that's making me not take what he's saying as, as gospel or seriously is on his Instagram, he posted a picture of him sitting at a table with his new bourbon on the table and a TV in the background that has a, one of the – Talk shows with his quote on there as almost being like, okay, I'm in the news now, people are talking about me. I'm going to post this on my Instagram sitting back and now I've got this new bourbon here. So it's all free advertising. Um, and the fact that I didn't know he had a book coming out, I was thinking, yep. yeah, for a bourbon, like, you know, publicity, you know, people talking about saying that you're saying, you know, crazy things, I guess is one way to get the marketing. But the fact that he's having a book, now it makes a hell of a lot more sense because yeah. so many people are going to rush out to buy it to say, well, if he's saying this in the media, imagine what's in the book.
0: And I think yeah. the book, I'm pretty sure the start, the back of the blurb of the book, because I've seen it, I've not seen the book, but somebody mentioned it says something like, um, there is no Michael Jordan without Scottie Pippen. That's like the first yeah. part, you know what I mean? So I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to give us some a lot to talk about, I think.
1: Yeah, so that, that's a great marketing ploy um, because I probably wouldn't have rushed out to buy the book, but given what he's saying now, I probably will just to see what other things are in this book and, and what he says in it. Um, but I sort of, I, I understand why Scottie would be pissed. And because he was a tremendous player that played on one of the greatest teams of all time, but he always gets talked about as a sidekick. Like to this day, you know, people are talking about is Giannis Pippen to Chris Middleton Jordan? Mm -hmm. And the context that it's spoken in is always of a negative. Mm -hmm. So someone can be as great as Giannis, two-time MVP defensive player, and if someone says he's the Pippen on the team, They're saying it because he's either had a bad game or he's come up short in a moment or they don't think he's a leader or someone that's going to be able to lead him to a championship. That's when the narrative starts that they're they're not a Jordan, they're a Pippin. So it's always of a negative. It's never a positive that you're a Pippin. It's always a negative. So to live with that post your career, that you're always associated with someone that isn't able to be the leader of a championship team that, that would annoy you as a player because it's he just happened to be on that Bulls team and be the second best player to arguably the greatest player of all time. If he'd never been drafted to the Bulls and played on another team, yeah, he's not going to win six championships, but he'd be probably spoken about the same way that they speak about Reggie Miller, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, the other stars of that era – okay as a tremendous basketball player in his own right but now his name is associated with someone that isn't able to be the best player on a championship team and that would be so annoying to always have your name brought up in that context
0: yeah it'd be a tough gig question for you do you reckon um because i'm a little bit biased probably in this but does Scotty Pippen's place in NBA history, is it at the appropriate level that it should be? Or is it less because of the fact that he played with Jordan?
1: Well, that's the thing. We'll never know. Because mm. he played with Jordan, had his most success with Jordan. You always think about him as Pippen to Jordan. Yeah. He was the second best player on a great championship dynasty. He he left, obviously, once Jordan retired in 98, was never able to get over the line. You know, that game seven in Portland is, is going to live in infamy, the fact that they're up 15 going to the fourth and lose that. You know, if they end up winning that game and go on to beat Reggie Miller in those finals and he becomes a champion without um, Jordan, the whole narrative on him completely shifts. Yeah, But, you know, it's hard to to get him in a place in history because his best basketball was always with Jordan. You know, there was only that short period of a season and a half in 94, 95. And then what happened post his, his Chicago career, you know, it, it is what it is, unfortunately for Scotty.
0: Mm. I think the thing that annoys me about this, that annoys me about um, even the, the Jordan versus LeBron debate stuff that annoys me about any of this sort of, these sorts of discussions is, You've always, you've always got to bring somebody down to bring the other one up, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's it can't just be that Jordan couldn't win without Pippen, Pippen couldn't win without Jordan. Let's leave it there. It's always got to be no, but Pippen wasn't as good as people think he was. People try and pray bring up Jordan, or Pippen was better than people say he was. People try and bring down Jordan, um, yeah. in, the, in, in the same uh way that they talk about Jordan being six and oh in the finals versus um, um. Yeah, that LeBron hasn't hasn't gone undefeated in the finals, it, and then the um, yeah how great that is, and then the other side argues, well, he lost though he didn't always make it to the finals, so he lost earlier, so it's bringing down the fact that he you know what I mean? There's always yeah. you've always got to bring someone down to put somebody else up, um, and I think poor old Scotty is just in a situation I think where I just don't think he's gonna win the yeah. in the position that he's in, no matter what he does, he's not gonna win because. Uh, you yeah, probably, know, probably LeBron and, and, and only LeBron, maybe Kobe, um, their followers, um, like Jordan's followers, they're, they're just, you're not going to win. You're never, you're, there's certain players you're just never going to win if you're on the other side of, of their cult following. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just, I, I think it's sad that it's, as you say, one of the greatest teams of all time, one of the greatest dynasties in sports of all time. And it seems to have gotten to this pretty uncomfortable, toxic um, space at the moment. And I'm still of the view that a lot of it stems to the Last Dance documentary because Pippin was very, very disappointed in how that came out and and apparently told Jordan, apparently Jordan said, yeah, no, fair enough. (laughs) I don't think Jordan would really, he's probably moved on, doesn't really care anymore, smoking his cigars and whatnot. Uh, But I did see that Instagram uh, post that you're referring to. And I also noticed that Pippin has been putting on his Twitter, you're welcome for all the content, everybody, et cetera, et cetera. So if he's really deeply hurt by it, you don't go on your social media and you say, <laughs> you yeah. know, Here's, thanks, yeah, here you go. You're welcome for all the content. Like, it just seems a bit bizarre.
1: Yeah. And yeah, as you say, like, the, you know, the last stands come out and you've got different factions of that that team coming out, and obviously Horace Grant during the, the screenings was very upset. Um, different guys that weren't interviewed, Craig Hodges has um, being upset that he wasn't asked to be interviewed, um, and obviously Pippen. Big Luke, think, our, our big Luke wasn't interviewed. Yeah, yeah big Luke. So <laughs> I think a lot of that has to do with how it's spoken about because when you talk about the Bulls dynasty of the 90s, A lot of it gets spoken about in terms of Jordan 6-0 in the finals, Mm. whereas the great Lakers and Boston teams of the 80s get spoken about the great Boston and Lakers teams of the 80s. Yes, we know Magic was a star. We know Kareem was a star. Worthy gets his love. Brian um, Russell gets his love. Uh, Byron Scott, sorry, not Byron Russell. Uh, <laughs> he gets love for being pushed
0: off. That's what he gets. Yeah, love for. <laughs> yeah that's right.
1: Um, McHale gets his love. Parish gets his love. Dennis Scott gets his love. You know, so a lot of players of that era in the eighties that won those championships with the Lakers and the Celtics, um, and even Detroit: Dumas, um, Mahorn, uh, Lambir. It's not just all about Isaiah. Those dynasties get spoken. We know who the stars of them are. But also the other guys that contributed get their love as well as well as the coaching staff. Whereas, whenever you talk about the Bulls, a lot of it just gets centered around Jordan six and O. Phil Jackson, obviously, because he's won so many championships. They're the two. Jordan certainly gets probably eighty percent of the the talk about and the love. Phil then probably gets fifteen percent, and then the last five percent gets divvied up to to Pippen and the rest of the guys. So. I can sort of understand why it is like that because they wouldn't feel the appreciation they probably should for what they were, what they contributed to that six and and0 run in the nineties.
0: hundred percent, hundred percent. And the funny thing about the last dance documentary is they knew what they were doing when they marketed it, when they created it with Jordan as the centerpiece, they knew that people wanted to see Jordan. They didn't want to see Scotty. So it's like the, the story just gets, even or it gets even more pointed towards Jordan being Jordan, um, yeah. because they're like, This is what we know will make people watch it. <laughs> they, don't want, they don't want to watch about Scottie Pippen or Steve Kerr or um, yeah, any, any of the others, big Luke. Um, and I guess the, the other thing that I want to get your thoughts on, which I found bizarre, was Scottie was talking about that shot that Steve Kerr hit in the '97 um finals to to sort of seal the deal i guess um that jordan knew the cam was a role and then it was all for show the fact that he does the little you know blah blah blah, and steve said, i'll be ready i'll be ready you know what do you you make of, of scotty saying that's almost staged
1: well again he's just he's just throwing everything at the wall now just for things to stick um all these grievances all his um, pent-up emotion and anger and resentment for what's happened post his playing career, yeah, he's just going to find anything that irks him now and just say it. And Look, it probably is, but sport is entertainment. Mm -hmm. So if it is all for show, well, he's just doing his job. Like, you you know, not everyone that plays sport understands the entertainment side of things, but it is entertainment. So if you're doing things for show, that's that's all part of it so to me that doesn't change a thing whether he knew the cameras were there or not doesn't change anything for me for for him doing it yeah that's that is entertainment yeah
0: yeah do you think i I, we'll just finish this topic here but i'll just finish by asking you this question do you think that um this hurts scotty's legacy in any way shape or form
1: no Because his legacy is already is the second fiddle. Like it's already, his legacy, again, as I said, always tends to be followed with negative context to it. So he can't, it's it's not going to hurt his legacy by coming out and saying outlandish things um, because it's already, he already has a tough, tough legacy for someone that was so great. And so I, I feel, I feel for him because that's just, the way it's going to be for him. I, I think it's, he's going to get a lot of book sales from it. So that's going to be a plus for him, which is, I think is a big tick. So maybe, do maybe. Think, in, do you think it hurts him?
0: I don't think it does. No, no. I was going to say, I, I don't think it hurts his legacy. The The only thing that for me, it's, it's, as I said before, is he's not going to win the battle <laughs> <laughs> um, because Jordan's follow in followers uh, worldwide are just, tenfold compared to what Scotty Pippen has. Um, but in maybe in 25 years' time, maybe we're talking about Scotty as one of the greatest bourbon creators of all time. So we'll, we, we, we'll see. I'm going to have to go get myself some digits and uh, yeah, yeah. Give, give it a shot when it makes its way over to Australia. <laughs>
1: yes. But I will say I do agree with his what he was – I think he was trying to say about LeBron and Kevin Durant. Yeah. And I think what he was trying to say is that LeBron – skill set allows him to maximise everyone around him and win in different ways, whereas Kevin Durant is such a gifted scorer that that's his way to beat you, yep. and he doesn't have, not that he doesn't have the other, he doesn't have the skill set to the level LeBron does to be able to elevate guys around him that... When he's not able to just beat you by scoring, he doesn't, he's not good enough to get them to win a different way.
0: Completely agree. I think he just had. He, he didn't explain it very well because he'd had half a bottle of, of digits before he... <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> uh, one, uh, well, actually, this is, uh, I'm going to throw this into our to our mailbag uh, segment for this uh, episode, and it doesn't involve uh, Durant and um, Jordan as well, but um, Steve Kerr uh, was asked about the brilliance of Kevin Durant. He gave a great big spiel mm-hmm. about how special he is and, um uh mentioned about how gifted he is. The interviewer said something along the lines of even more gifted than the guys play with Michael Jordan. And Steve Kerr said, yes, I think he is. Of course this went all over the shows. Um, (laughs) What's, what's your view on Kevin Durant being more gifted? I think the key word here is gifted than Michael Jordan.
1: Yeah, definitely. If it's saying he's a better player, then we all know that's wrong. He's not a better player than Michael Jordan. If he's, if he's talking about just like natural physical gifts, yeah, you can make an argument for it because it's Michael Jordan was gifted 6'6, six, six, run like a deer, jump like a deer, you know, 45 plus foot vertical, huge hands, you know, just the almost the perfect basketball athlete. Um, until LeBron came along and was three inches taller and about 50 kilos heavier, um, from,
0: from Mars or wherever he came from. Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> But Kevin Durant is obviously unique in the fact that he is so tall, he is so long, but so has such a good handle and such a good stroke that I don't think many would argue that he's the most gifted scorer between him. You'd have to say him and Wilt Chamberlain. But the argument with Wilt Chamberlain is... Was it more? So it wasn't necessarily skill. He was just so much bigger and stronger than everyone else in that era. That that's why he was able to score so many points. Whereas Kevin Durant does it with such skill at that height, at that length, the way he handles the ball and the way he shoots the ball is is something I don't think you're going to see for a very, very long time. It's very unique to have a guy that's seven foot. 7'6 wingspan that dribbles like a point guard and shoots like a two guard and just is unguardable from basically anywhere within 35 feet of the basket
0: I think you are spot on in terms of what Steve Kerr meant by it um, basically a lot of the talk shows that before I, I agree that I think in that sense yes he is more gifted because he's 6'11 and plays like he's one, like he's got the skills you know <laughs> And can shoot with the best of them. Um, I think where the talk shows have got it wrong is they've started to analyze what Steve, I, th- I think what Steve Kerr actually meant by it, which is exactly what I think you were referring to on the physical gifts of the two of them. If you put them side by side, this dude's 6'11 and can you know, do all, he's a wizard with the basketball. Um, so many of the talk shows started to bring the mental side in and they were like, it's impossible to say because Jordan's one of the most gifted we've ever seen from a mental perspective. And I'm thinking, I think you completely missed the point. I don't think Steve Kerr was saying that because now you're starting to go down the path of that Steve was saying he's a better player than Jordan. He never said that. He said he's more gifted. I think he chose his words very, very carefully, old Steve, because he knows knows his former teammate probably still got his number. Uh, We'll be be coming after him if he doesn't (laughs) choose his words carefully. So I think the talk shows, as they always do, took it too far <laughs> yeah. um, because if, as you said if you compare in just who's the better player it's not even a, a debate um, it's not even close so um, yeah I think I think and, I agree with you on that point
1: and Steve Kerr knows that he's been able to eat off the fact that he has was Michael Jordan's teammate and he's a very good commentator so he lives off the fact that he's the the Michael Jordan expert Yeah, because he has been doing it for 20 years since he retired, that every time there's a Michael Jordan conversation, they want to get Steve Kerr's opinion on it. And his opinion holds weight because he played with him for three years. And now that he's coached Golden State with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and the like, you know, he he knows how to work the media, and that uh, his words hold weight. So, if anyone else had said that, it it, it wouldn't strike a chord. But no. uh, because it's Steve Kerr, it's like, oh well, that's it's a bit like whenever Phil Jackson would say something about Kobe and Jordan, it's like, oh well, Phil Jackson would know he in the locker room with both of them, yeah. blah blah blah. It's like, yeah yeah right. Smart men, they know how
0: to use yeah. <laughs> use the tools to the, to their advantage. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else from you before we get up out of here?
1: Um, Just another, just to probably drive home the point about Chris Paul. Like, this is the great thing. And I I spoke about it last night in our Punders Club um, about so Richmond losing to the Gold Coast and how that was sport balancing the ledger with Tom Lynch leaving them. And look, no one blames Tom Lynch for going there, and he's got two flags to show for it at Richmond. But it would have caused the Gold Coast Suns an enormous amount of pain yeah. losing their marquee player and them struggling for so long. So it was nice to see that last night with the sports world balancing the ledger. Um, Tom Lynch can play well, but Gold Coast get the win. And it's just, that's that's the great thing about sport that things can can balance out over time. And for someone like Chris Paul, who's had probably the worst luck of any superstar Um, In the NBA when it comes to playoff time, it's whether he's given up a 3-1 lead or a 2-0 lead and had a meltdown or whether he's got hurt at critical moments of series that, you know, they're looking like they're on top and then he gets, you know, obviously there was a hamstring injury in the Houston series, he had the hamstring injury when they beat um, the Spurs back in game seven when he was still in the Clippers. And then even this year, he has the injuries to the shoulder in the first round and then um, gets through that, looks like he's back, and then gets into COVID protocol. Like, he's had terrible luck throughout his career. And, it, it, you know, once he went to OKC, everyone thought he was done. They thought OKC was going to buy him out, and his career was basically over. He goes and has that great run with them, and now he's in Phoenix and they're going to his first NBA Finals. That's the beautiful thing about sports is seeing guys that continue to fight, to continue to work and prove the naysayers wrong. And now he gets his opportunity to go to his first NBA finals. I don't think it's going to end in a championship for him, but I'm sure we'll talk about that closer to it, but it is, it's, it's great for his legacy and the fact that for working for so long for 16 seasons, he gets his chance to experience the NBA finals.
0: I have nothing. That's a perfect way to finish. I will not say anything to ruin it. So let's <laughs> let's let's leave it there. Um, and obviously, we'll we'll be back for another episode soon. Um, obviously, previewing the NBA finals will probably be the next one because this this uh, series with the with the Bucks and Atlanta will be over soon.
1: It certainly will, and we'll dive in deep into the finals and see what comes out of it.
0: We will. We will indeed. All right, mate. I will talk to you soon.